statins. Are they really as bad as they think you are, or are they even worse? Hi, this is Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health. And today, I am joined by Dr. Stephanie Seneff, who is a, a, a professor of some sort at, at MIT. Uh, what, what is the specifics? A senior research scientist. Senior, senior research scientist. I thought she's a senior research scientist at MIT, uh, has a lot of background in computers, and I think she has the distinction of being interviewed maybe half the record number of people I've interviewed. Maybe Barbara Lowe Fisher was more. I think but so. you're, you're certainly up there. So that's <laughs> as good. And the reason we do that is because she's such a fountain of information. And today, as you know, by the introduction, we're going to talk about statins. Specifically, we're going to be reviewing a book called The Dark side of statins, which has been published and out for a bit and was written by Dr. Graveline, who was a victim of, of uh, statin side effects and actually died from complications from statins. So he is not able to join us for the interview. And we thought the perfect substitute would be Dr. Seneff because her husband, and I'll let her tell the story in a moment, was was severely affected by statins. And this was, my guess is before she started really seriously exploring the benefits of natural medicine. So welcome and thank you for joining us, uh, Dr. Seneff, and I will let you take it from here because you are such an expert at telling the story. Okay, thank you very much for having me. And uh, you're right, my, my husband actually did me a big favor in terms of getting me into this whole space. He really changed my career by getting sick. So I mean, it's <laughs> not what you want your husband to do, but. Uh, he was diagnosed with heart disease 10 years ago and put on a high dose statin, four times the normal dosage. The doctor said, you have to take this for the rest of your life. If you don't, I will no longer be your doctor. And he started immediately suffering from all kinds of side effects, you know, all the muscle pain, the weakness, even the road rage, I mean, behavioral changes. And um, I just knew this drug wasn't working. And I started, you know, researching statins up one side and down the other. In fact, started doing it as part of my work at, at, at MIT started analyzing statin side effects and finding all kinds of horrible things. And um, he got off of them after a year. He slowly tapered it down. And I'm happy to say he's statin-free and doing great at this point. Uh, nine, ten years later, uh, still statin-free. His doctors keep on reminding him, and he keeps on telling them no, politely. Yeah, he, he knows New doctor, better. you know, he fired the one that would no longer be his doctor, but he's got a new doctor who is not exactly on board, but he's willing, so... So what was the justification they had for uh, giving him a dose 400% the recommended dose? Four, four times, yeah. I don't actually understand why they did that because his, his, actually his cholesterol was not particularly high. So I think it's just because this particular doctor, it turned out he was one of, he, Victor found out later that you know there was information about Massachusetts and doctors getting uh, funding to do um, working no. <laughs> with, the, with the pharmaceutical companies and his doctor was number one in Massachusetts, the most funded by, um, you know, I think by Pfizer actually. So, uh, and Lipitor was the product that he was taking. So I think it was totally, uh, okay. yeah. Yeah, I think, I think collectively, just so, I mean, this is one of the most commonly used medications and drugs in the world. Statins is a class, but from a dollar perspective, I believe statins have sold over $10 billion. Yeah, I don't know the numbers, but I know it's obscenely yeah, big. It's, it's yeah, and, and a big portion of those sales were Lipitor. Yes. But they've been on the market for a long time, and you know this was uh, sort of uh, a, 
an art because I, I started practicing in 1985 i graduated med school in 82 and did a residency and when i started practicing high cholesterol was not was not really a thing in the 80s it really i mean people when i i was uh sort of conned into conventional medicine and brainwashed mm -hmm. and believed mm -hmm. that high cholesterol was a problem at the time and i would screen i would draw the person's blood and i was a new kid on the block and i tell them hey you've high cholesterol and they would go back to their doctor says no i don't and they were just using the normal reference ranges so that you know there was a that really didn't pick up until the late 80s early 90s yes i mean once they, they thought they had a really good argument you know they did some studies and they used this sort of relative risk with very rare risk so when the population as a whole has an extremely low risk and then you can get a large percentage change, but it's actually a very small difference for the actual individual in terms of the likelihood of it reducing your risk of your absolute risk. You know, they play that trick all the time. Yeah, why don't you, that's a good point. So why don't you expand on that? Because uh, the difference between absolute and relative risk, because it's a, it's a really important uh, sort of trick or magic trick that many of these companies use to confuse people into believing that the benefits of the medications are extraordinarily higher than they actually are. Right. So what they do is they, is they do a study in which the absolute risk is very rare. Let's say 2% of the population actually is expected to have whatever it is they're monitoring happen, like say a heart attack. And then so they look over a period of time and they find that the control group has the 2% uh, with this occurring and the treatment group has let's say you know 1.5 percent instead of two percent so that's a 0.5 uh, percent uh, decreased risk from your standpoint mm -hmm. and but from their standpoint that's 25 percent uh, improved performance because it's 0.5 out of two one fourth of the relative risk has you know has been taken away therefore it's a 25 percent improvement which sounds much better than 0.5 percent 0.5 percent yeah, it's like 50 times better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and and those numbers are actually quite conservative because many times it's 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 ex exploded beyond those numbers. So to just give a, a outrageous, I mean, I'm 100, 200%, 300% when it's a, the actual reality is it's a very small uh, actual decrease in the risk. Yes, and of course what I think is that you're you're decreasing your risk of heart attacks, but you're not necessarily decreasing your risk of heart disease because you're driving yourself towards heart failure because of um, the damage that the heart, that the statins do to muscles and the heart is a muscle. So you're trading off heart attack for heart failure and I think a heart attack is preferred over heart failure. These are two so different you, diseases you, of the heart. Well, what, what you've just st stated is suggests that you believe that the statins actually decrease the risk of heart attack. Is that fair to say? I or? think they do decrease the risk of heart attack. They don't necessarily decrease the risk of the big heart attack. I think they actually do like with the forest fires, if you're very careful to always put up out the forest fires and then the, the trees get really dry and then finally you get, you know, uh, something just explodes and you get this giant forest fire that you never saw before because you, for many years, you kept them away. It's sort of like that, that you keep away the small heart attacks, it don't really matter. And then the sort of pressure sort of builds up and so you get one of these big attack, uh, bigger heart attacks that's more likely to kill you. So they don't necessarily even improve heart, heart disease risk, uh, heart attack risk. I mean, how do I say this? Death from heart attack. They decrease yeah, which the frequency is, which is of the that's the ultimate barometer is death, yes. not yes. heart attack, death. You know, so that's, that's what we're looking for. Does it help decrease the death rate from heart disease? And, and uh, 
It doesn't for three primary reasons. One is that it lowers your cholesterol and cholesterol. And I'll let you expand on this and I'll just give the summary, but it lowers your cholesterol. Cholesterol is an important precursor for many of our steroid hormones, actually most of them. And it also lowers coenzyme Q10. Yes, that's crucial. And, and uh, Doc and, talked a lot about that in his book. Yes. And it, it, what he didn't talk about, and I don't think he knew of it, it, was, it actually lowers two other things, vitamin K2. Mm. And, and it also lowers, it's the same darn enzy enzyme. See, this, almost all the statins inhibit this, this enzyme called HMG coenzyme A reductase. Mm. And that's the enzyme that your liver uses to make ketones. That's so if you're, if you're on a statin drug, you can't make ketones effectively. You'll never increase your ketone. You can go fast all you want. You're not going to be making them. That is so remarkable. That, and he did not pick up on that. I, I'm pretty sure because he, I read the book carefully. No, he didn't. He didn't mention it. He, I don't think he knew of that. And then, but he did mention the last one, which I wasn't aware of. And you, perhaps you can expand on everything I mentioned. Not just throwing it out for you, so you can take take the 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 uh, the, the discussion. But this, and I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's Dolacol. Uh, yes, I was hoping you would bring that up because I was very yeah. fascinated by that part, and and I didn't know it either. Yeah. I really, I, I had come across it actually from from his webpage. I'd come across mentions of Dolacol, and it kind of went over my head, and I didn't really pay attention. You know how it is. Yeah. And his book goes into the Dolacol very, very nicely, and it inspired yeah. me to even go back to and look for some papers because Dolacol is very interesting. Yeah, uh, it's more. He believes it's just as important as CoQ10. So why don't you enlighten us on your perspective on that? Because you've done the research that you're such a diligent researcher. I mean, just go to the literature and digest <laughs> it. I mean, it's just I love that part. Decades. Of, yeah, <laughs> I know. And how many people do? You're so good. And what I forgot in our intro introduction too, you've written a book. I think was yes, it, I your have. first book. Yeah, and it's you were. Yeah, we were kind enough to ask me to write the forward for to it, yes. which I did, and it was a very interesting book. And and really, truthfully, it's a fiction book. Yes. But it's really sort of autobiographical, and really, rep the the primary character in the book is you. Yes. And it it really uh, it sort of uh, emulates your journey in this in this uh, pattern. It's a fascinating book, and I forgot the name of its name of it though. Yeah, Cindy and Erica's obsession to solve. That's what. It, they have a healthcare crisis in America, and then there's a big thing, you know, which diseases. It's like yeah. autism and, and uh, Alzheimer's and all these things. So, uh, and I went into statin drugs and vaccines and glyphosate, you know, the weed killer, uh, all of that. And I was discovering it in real time as I was putting it into the book. So it was very much of a personal you know, it was even written in real time over the course of a year and a half. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you could tell that. It was really a fascinating read. I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to read it. But anyway, that's a diversion. I just wanted to go back to that because I forgot to put yes. it in the intro. But um, so, so the, why Dolacol. Don't you the Dolacol, the CoQ10. I know, gosh. And of course, you know, and all those a lot are... about the mitochondria because the mitochondria are oh, super, absolutely. super important. And Do Dolacol, Dolacol is important in mitochondrial function too. Absolutely. Dolacol does a lot of things. It's very, uh, it's amazing actually how many things it does. And one of the things I really picked up on in reading this book was that it is responsible for the process of putting the sugar chains on top of proteins that are glycosylated proteins. And this is super, super important because there's many uh, really interesting proteins in the body that are that get these sugar chains added to these sort of, you know, these so-called glycosaminoglycans, the extracellular matrix, all that stuff that I always talk about and how important those things are to maintain the barrier function in the cell and to regulate the uptake of all the different nutrients. So the whole, the cell actually decorates itself with these, 
it puts these proteins into the membrane, attaches them into the membrane, like syndicans, for example. And then it attaches all these sugar chains to those proteins to build this barrier around the cell that influences the water around the cell to make it into gel. So it's the sulfated proteoglycans that I talk so much about that are put together and assembled on top of these proteins by dolicol. It cannot happen without dolicol, which is truly amazing to me. So it would mean, for example, that the muscle cells, which of course you have lots and lots of mitochondria, require lots of energy, and the muscle cells get hit really hard by statin drugs. If they can't maintain that extracellular compartment in a healthy state, they're not going to be able to easily take up nutrients, for example, sugar. And you know, we end up with type 2 diabetes, and statins have been shown to cause type 2 diabetes, uh, increased risk. And whether that's happening, in part because those extracellular matrix uh, oh, proteins are not being properly assembled. So it, it can't easily get the sugar in. Yeah, that's a very interesting observation because the connection between statin use and diabetes is relatively recent within the past few years. We didn't know that for the longest yes, time. Yes, it's really but come the out now. The mechanism has always eluded us. And this, yes. it may be, this could be when part you of it, describe, the, describe the process, it makes a lot of sense. It yeah, it, and it hasn't been said that that's Dolacol. why. But, uh, yeah, it, no. it might be why. And, so, and then, of course, Dolacol also fixes uh, DNA mistakes. I mean, this is super huge. The, it, it's really interesting that when DNA is assembled, there are lots and lots of mistakes are made. And they're constantly repaired. You know, there's this whole repair process that uh, a mistake is made. Whoops, we made a mistake. Do it again. Whoops, we made a mistake. Do it again. Well, it's, it's, it's not even so much the mistakes. It's that we're exposed to ex oxidative stressors. I mean, That's some is good, right. but, but excessive oxidative stress, especially from uh, EMF, can, can radically damage DNA. Right. I mean, they get damaged by virtue. You know, you can't have biological reactions without having sort of mistaken biological reactions. It's sort of like you, it's hard to control so only the good things happen and the bad things don't. And so when the bad things happen, you have to either have a way to repair it or you just have to throw away the whole thing, you know, completely break it apart and build it again. So with, with DNA, there's a very good mechanism to repair it on the fly as you're assembling it. Otherwise, you'd never be able to get it right, you know. And this mechanism it depends on Dolacol. And it's an extraordinarily effective mechanism. I mean, the, the, the amount of damage that is repaired every day. I mean, if I, th I believe it goes around the, if, if you were to take our DNA and, and put it end to end, all of our DNA in our cells, it would go around like the earth like 40,000 times. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, biology yeah. just never ceases to amaze you. It's just like yeah. a mystical story all the time. There's so many parts about biology. So, th so fast. These are these repair mechanisms are almost going at the speed of light to repair it's, all that damage. It's incredible. And, uh, and the fact that it actually produces a really well, very accurate copy of DNA in general. I mean, of course, when it makes these mistakes, you end up with cancer. So that's really bad. And the mitochondria in particular, they have DNA. So they're separate from the nucleus and they have DNA inside them, the mitochondrial DNA. That DNA is much more exposed because the mitochondria have to use all the superoxide to do what they're going to do to make to make ATP, those, yeah. the DNA in the mitochondria is very susceptible to damage. And so it's a really big deal to make sure to protect it. And both is coenzyme Q10. Coenzyme Q10 is a wonderful antioxidant that is in the mitochondria to help keep them from making those mistakes. And then the dolichol is in there to help them repair the mistakes when they made. So both of them are going to be deficient on a statin drug, which is really asking for trouble with respect to the muscles in particular, because they have lots and lots of mitochondria. Yeah, the, the, I think 85% of the DNA damage is in the mitochondria because that's where the energy is produced. But 
interestingly, most of the DNA there is only for the mitochondrial proteins, which are a relatively small number. Your, your, your biological DNA is really in the nucleus, and fortunately, there's nowhere near as much damage. But it's an interesting symbiosis that's developed between the mitochondria and, and, and uh, our eukaryotic cells, cellular structures. Yes, it's really a curious uh, system, isn't it? It, it, yes, indeed. It, yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, why don't we discuss, from your perspective, the the reason why it's not the wisest strategy around to start indiscriminately lowering cholesterol because <laughs> it's a vital nutrient that we need, and it shouldn't be suppressed artificially. That's absolutely true. And in fact, the first chapter of the book was written by Glenn Wainwright who's a friend of mine, we're mm -hmm. both members of THINKS, you know, the, the International Network of Cholesterol Skeptics, which was founded mm -hmm. by Uffe Ravenskopf. He's just amazing, and he's been fighting this, this battle for decades, and uh, he's very persistent. And uh, so Glenn, uh, Glenn Wainwright uh, wrote that first chapter and also the, the foreword of the book, and, uh, and that first chapter is very nice, and he talks all about this issue of how great cholesterol is. I mean, to think of cholesterol as public enemy number one is so strange. And, and I knew this also, you know, when my husband was prescribed as that, I knew cholesterol was vitally important to the body. And I knew that it, there was high concentrations in the brain, 2% of the body's weight, and 25% of the body's cholesterol in the brain. So you don't want to mess with, you know, losing cholesterol in the brain. And of course, statin side effects include a lot of cognitive issues. And that was one of the things that really faced uh, uh, Space Doc, uh, Dwayne Graveline, the author of the book. He suffered something called transient global amnesia after taking statins for about three months. And, you know, the doctor said, no way the statin could be causing that, but why don't you, you know, but then he wanted to go off of it anyway, and it went away. And then a year later, the doctor said, well, the statin didn't cause it, so you should go back on the statin because you still have high cholesterol. He went back on it, and then shortly thereafter, he had another episode of uh, transient global amnesia. And then uh, from that point on, he stopped taking the statin. And, um, and then he became obsessed and wrote books, and he's written several books on statins. The first one was mm -hmm. Lipitor, Thieve of Memory. And I've read, I've read many of his books, at least three of them. Um, and this one is great. And I'll show this one to you. I have it here. here you know, the dark sure. side of statins. His last book, very sad last chapter by his wife, recounting the last days of his life, which he died of, of ALS or an ALS-like condition, which he always suspected that, you know, the statins were contributory towards. He never came out and said statins caused my ALS, but he felt like, you know, you, you got the sense that he felt like he wouldn't have had nearly as bad a problem with the ALS without the statins. Yeah, well, it seems like the mechanism there might be, again, related to the dolichols because they clearly are related to immune function. Yeah, I know. And, of course, the, um, the, nerves, um, the, the nerves have a tremendous dependence on cholesterol and um, dolichol also. Dolichol is really important in membranes. And, it, it, you know, it, it keeps membranes tight. And uh, so uh, that's another role that dolichol plays. And so um, in the coenzyme Q10, of course, the antioxidant effects, uh, you start get the oxidative damage, you know, in the, in the nerves, the, the, the motor neurons. Um, there's just, you know, all bets are off. I mean, I think uh, you see tremendous uh, numbers of uh, side effects related to muscle pain, muscle weakness, neuropathy. Um, and you get a lot of evidence of aging, things like hearing loss, hair loss, arthritis, you know, I think uh, diabetes, uh, what he says, and I agree with this, 
in the book. He says statins make you grow older faster. And I think that's a very good way to describe them. They sort of give you all the things you get when you get older faster. And since you never yeah. got old before, you don't know how fast you're supposed to get old. So you just mm -hmm. think, well, I'm getting old. Like I, This is just the way it is. And it's not. It should be much, much slower. But you don't know that because you never experienced it. This is your first time, you know? So everybody gets duped. Each person individually gets old fast and doesn't realize that's happening to them because of the statin. Yeah. It's a very effective strategy if you want to grow old rapidly. Take <laughs> yes. <a statin. laughs> right. Take a statin, that's for sure. So um, let me see the... Okay. So yeah, we should get into inflammation because that's something that he talked quite a bit about, statins and inflammation and uh, sort of the studies yes. that were done and also showing that cholesterol is not the reason why. Um, whatever they do in terms of reducing heart attack, is not due to lowering cholesterol. And that becomes no, clear. No, maybe due, maybe due to the anti-inflammatory components, at least yes. the benefit. So uh, why don't you talk about inflammation and, and then yeah. enlightenment of the One thing I will admit is that I have not been able to figure out how statins cause, how they reduce inflammation. I have not been able to figure that out. And I'm not sure anybody has. Um, he sort of talked about it, and it what didn't quite convince me, and I forget exactly even what he said. Because, well, he said it acts like NSAIDs. Like, actually, they had studies that showed that. So in terms of the evidence, mm -hmm. it's there that it reduces the um, activity of uh, certain inflammatory agents, like C-reactive protein. So, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that is one of the, the best uh, overall tests of total body inflammation would be C-reactive protein, or HSCRP, high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. Yes, that's right. Ideal, so ideally, it should be below 0 0.7. Anything above one is potentially problematic, and the higher it is, the worse it is. Right, and it's an indicator so you, of inflammation. Yeah, you could. I like to see it down to 0 0.2, 0 0.3. Yeah, that's you know, kind great of like, if you can get that. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, and you can typically, at least to the people, you know, for myself, I've been able to achieve that. And most people that I work with that are doing cyclical ketogenic diets, you know, that's that radically great. because the, the ketogenic ketones are really potent heat, uh, histone deacetylase inhibitor, which is uh, radically decreases inflammation. That is super. I mean, that is really good. And of course I agree with that ketogenic diet. That is so important. It's really many people are catching yes. on to that. And, you, and, and I want to extend my sincere and deep appreciation be, and let people know that you were one of the expert reviewers for Fat for Fuel. And mm, thank you. Helped really, helped <laughs> really make it much better. Yes. Yeah, so um, inflammation. So, so for example, there was this study called, um, uh, was it Insure, I think? There was a study in which they added um, an additional cholesterol-lowering agent, which worked by disrupting cholesterol absorption through the, through the gut on top of a statin drug, and they got great numbers in terms of much lower cholesterol levels, and yay, 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 right, that's great. But then they got absolutely no evidence of any improvement in the heart issues. So it, it's sort of like you got the cholesterol lower, but it didn't do anything to improve the, uh, the heart attack risk. So that sort of says maybe lowering the cholesterol is not what the statins, it's not the part of what statins are doing that is causing them to reduce heart attack risk. And then on the other side of the coin was the C-reactive protein. They got this Jupiter study, which was a very controversial study because they stopped it early. And I've always wondered about that, why they did that. But the Jupiter study was C-reactive protein, and they took people who actually did not have high cholesterol but did have high C-reactive protein. Those were the people that were put into this study. 
and they claimed to get terrific results. They had some, I forget the numbers, but you know, great improvement in the relative risk of heart attack. And uh, it got people on statins on the basis of C-reactive protein to use that as the metric to say, okay, your cholesterol is fine, but still take a statin because you've got this high C-reactive protein. That was sort of another reason to take a statin. Um, but his feeling was that it was the anti-inflammatory aspect of the statins that was their only benefit. And he felt it was a benefit. And he actually advocated even, he said, I would even recommend uh, that someone take a statin in a tiny dose, like say two, uh, was it milligrams? Two instead of 10 or 20. So normally you would have maybe 20, but just take two. Yeah, 80% like, less. You know, just take a tiny, a tiny bit of statin that you could get 70% of the, um, of the improvement in the anti-inflammatory effect with, uh, with one-tenth doses, that dosage, that kind of thing. You know, much, much lower dosage could get you 70% of what you would get with a higher dosage without lowering your cholesterol, which is what you don't want to do. So he thought uh, there might be uh, justification in taking a statin for that purpose. Yeah, and I want to make it clear that this is not a strategy that I'd agree with in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it does help justify people who are taking it that they may achieve some benefit, but clearly there are so many other simple, less expensive, safe strategies to decrease inflammation. And we talked about it earlier, the cyclical ketogenic diet, but there's other things that you can do too. I mean, this is not a tough not to crack it's pretty easy and certainly taking a statin isn't worth it when you consider that at least traditional doses and maybe it would be less at the lower doses that they admit 10 percent of people have side effects from statin but the reality is it's probably closer to 30 percent or even higher yeah. and that's recognized side effects that's not the damage that it's causing to each and every person that's taking it it's not you know from the very mechanisms we mentioned earlier well, I'm glad you said that because I totally agree with you. I would not recommend, personally, I don't think, you know, I would never take a statin under any circumstance. I just yeah. feel it's a poison and, and I'm, I'm done with it. You know, it's just, there's too much, anything that's going to do what it does in terms of messing up the mevalinate pathway at its base and all the different things that come out of that pathway. Of course, it includes vitamin D. And I think you maybe mentioned that, but class, uh, vitamin D comes out of that pathway too, because it comes from the cholesterol. And yeah, it's, the it's, it's definitely the, right. The other hormones, right? The criti critical hormones, like yes. uh, progesterone, testosterone, aldosterone, cortisol. Exactly. And, vit and vitamin D. Vitamin D, yes. I mean, it's amazing to think that you would want to reduce all of those things. You know, <laughs> why would you want to do that? It's just insane, seems to me. So let's take a little side trail here because we have some time and you're an expert on this and we haven't talked about it for a while and maybe your views have changed since the last time we discussed it but on vitamin d you really had uh, enlightened the world and basically you and you alone pioneered this concept that it's not necessarily vitamin d but it's it's vitamin d that's sulfated which occurs typically and most traditionally when you're exposed your skin to sun so why don't you have your views change on this? And if, no, if they have I it, still believe okay, that. So. And in fact, I believe cholesterol yeah. sulfate is probably more important than vitamin D sulfate. And I think vitamin D is more of a messenger. So when okay. when you are exposed to sunlight and your skin produces vitamin D sulfate, it also produces much more cholesterol sulfate. And that cholesterol uh -huh. sulfate gets shipped out into the blood. It goes into the membranes of the um, of the particles. So for example, the LDL particles, the HDL particles. Cholesterol sulfate enters those membranes and makes them safe. It actually builds just it, the sulfate, you know, is crucial because it builds this structured water, this uh, Jerry Pollock structured water 
gel, sort of like a Superman shield around that particle so that it can't um, be attacked by sugar and uh, oxidative damage. It keeps the inside content safe. And so you don't get oxidized fats and oxidized cholesterol. You know, you don't damage uh, those tissues. You don't damage the, um, the red blood cells. The red blood cells also have cholesterol sulfate in their membranes. They make cholesterol sulfate and they put it in their membrane. And it gives them that, that shield that, uh, and also gives them the negative charge that makes everything repel each other so that things don't glom up together in the blood. So the cholesterol sulfate is super, super important. It's, um, it's present in the, in the blood at pretty high concentrations. DHEA sulfate is another similar. DHEA sulfate is derived from cholesterol sulfate or from oh, cholesterol. I did, I did not know that. Yeah, cholesterol goes in to the, like the adrenal glands and then it goes through this big complicated process and the DHEA comes out and then it gets sulfated again and oh. sent out as DHEA sulfate. So DHEA sulfate is a sort of modified form of cholesterol sulfate. And all of the hormones too are also sulfated in transit, estrone sulfate and progesterone sulfate and testosterone sulfate and even uh, other things besides the sterols like the, uh, the, the neurotransmitters, melatonin sulfate, serotonin sulfate. They're all sulfated in transit and vitamin now, D sulfate. So this is the transportable form and, and not the biologically active form, the sulfate Exactly, when it's sulfated, all of these things have that property, very interesting. When they're sulfated, they're inactive and vitamin D as well. Vitamin D sulfate is, you know, doesn't do anything. To, very 5% of the capacity of vitamin D to, for example, promote calcium uptake. You know, all the things that vitamin D does, vitamin D sulfate does not do. And that's one reason why people dismiss it. They say, well, the stuff's useless. You know, it doesn't do anything. But what it's doing is carrying sulfate. Okay. And so that's it makes what it, I think is key. And because it's sulfated, it's water-soluble because all right. the steroid hormones are fat-soluble. So it makes it water-soluble so it can be transported by the blood. Once yes. it gets to the tissue where it needs to work, they take the sulfate out and bang, it works. Yes, and the sulfate gets delivered, which is extremely important. It's, ah, it's a sulfate carrier. Ah, sulfate gets delivered. Dual prong approach. Not only does it carry the biologically active precursor, but it also delivers sulfate. Yes, and this is something that very few people realize. It's I think it's crucial. I think all of these things are involved with sulfate transport, and I think sulfate is actually very difficult to transport for the very reason that it will gel the blood. So sulfate, you know, has this property of forming um, structured water, and mm -hmm. the blood needs to flow. So you can't have you know, lots of sulfate floating around in the blood because it'll, it'll mess it up. And so the blood keeps very, it confines the sulfate levels to a very, um, very narrow margin in the blood. If there's too much sulfate in the free sulfate in the blood, it'll flush it right out of the kidneys. It'll throw it away. Okay. And your experience though, in review of the literature, uh, do you believe that most people just simply don't have enough sulfate? It's not, they have an excess they have to excrete. They just don't have enough to begin with. Yes, I think we have a massive sulfate deficiency problem in this country right now. I think many of the diseases that we face are, can be traced to sulfate deficiency. And, um, and I think that it's being caused in large part by glyphosate, the active ingredient in, in the herbicide Roundup. Another area of your expertise that yes. is really, you know, one of we certainly statins are an issue. And, you know, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but I want to mention it now. Why is this important? One in four Americans, one in four Americans over the age of 40 are taking a statin drug. That's incredible. That's just incredible. That is, and it may be even more, it might be going down to one in three. It's, and it's and a, children are taking them too. Children under 10 years old. It is so shocking. <laughs> it is so shocking. Oh God. 
I did not know that. I didn't even know they were allowed to be taking them. But I, why, why am I surprised? Insane. Absolutely insane. I can't believe that's the worst thing you could do to a child coming into puberty is to take away their cholesterol. It's unbelievable. It's criminal. It's, it's absolutely criminal. criminal. It's absolutely criminal. And those, they, they should have their license taken away. I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind. I mean, there's, there's just no way that should be allowed. It's an but insane they won't world. It's, it's a standard <laughs> of care, so they can get away with it. Oh, and in fact, if but, they don't, uh, right, they're going to say, well, you, you're not treating properly. You know, they're going to be no. chewed out. So, um, but the other thing is the glyphosate, and that's what your uh, major. Well, before we go into glyphosate, I want to touch on this, the sulfates again, because, you know, you weren't a big fan of sulfate oral supplementation like MSM or, or the oh, actually, I don't, I'm changing my mind perhaps on MSM okay. uh, because I, okay. I'm getting a lot of people telling me that it's worked really great for them. Um, okay. And so I'm thinking initially, maybe, yeah, yeah, initially you weren't, well, I didn't even okay. understand how it worked because I couldn't find, um, I couldn't find literature that talked about what actually happened to the MSM. Like it was the sulfur in it, even bioavailable, you know, it's a methyl sulfonyl methane. Mm -hmm. And was it even possible to get sulfate out of that? I wasn't sure. I didn't, I couldn't find literature. I still can't find literature on exactly what happens to MSM. It's kind of interesting. Well, it's a derivative of DMSO. Uh, they're yes, really similar. Right. Whatever works for DMSO, what is going to work for MSM. And right, fact, I agree. Like, but... this, I think Stanley Jacobs is the in, in initial investigator that, that popularized it. Yeah, work on it. I, I mean, it has to alive. be the case that it's, uh, it's accessible sulfur. And it also has methyls, which is interesting, too, because methylation is another thing that's ah. depleted by... Um, by glyphosate. Glyphosate disrupts methionine synthesis by gut microbes and by plants. And so uh, you get methionine deficiency and methionine, of course, is the, is the core of the sulfur containing amino acids. And it's, a, you know, it's going to be needed to make glutathione. Glutathione is a really important antioxidant in the, in the liver. So, uh, and then methionine provides those methyl groups for the methyl transfers. And so uh, I think there's a methylation deficiency problem as well as a sulfate deficiency no, no, problem no. in the context of glyphosate. Some people are concerned about taking too much methionine, especially if you eat a lot of animal products. Do you have any concern about that? Mm, I don't know. I don't actually like the idea of taking free amino acids in general. Sure. Like I think taurine is really, really important, but taurine can actually cause seizures if you take free taurine, like in, uh, mm -hmm. what's it called? Bull uh, really? Yeah. Um, it can cause seizures. Um, you know, because your body's not used to having these amino acids available as free amino acids in the blood at too high a level. They're sort of, they can cause funny things to happen. And so sure. um, well, I would sense. hesitate. Well, let's go back to magnesium again. And your preferred one initially was um, Epsom salts or so soaking in Epsom salts. Yes. And I've recently encountered a, a, a prescription, but a sort of a formula for converting uh, magnesium sulfate into a lotion that you can apply topically because that sounds interesting. I, I don't know about people, but I, I just don't find the time or the, yeah. the primarily the time to, to draw a bath and then sit in it. I mean, I just got so many other things going on. In <laughs> I would love to do that and I'm absolutely in favor of it, but it would seem to be a more efficient way would be to rub it on. And I'm wondering if, if you yes, have Yes, I think so. I mean, in fact, I remember talking to the father of an autistic child who said that he, they, he, they just made a kind of a paste out of the Epsom salt baths, I believe, and just put it on the child's arm and they felt that that was yeah. effective for absorbing it. Um, sulfate, it's interesting because there's a problem in the gut. A lot of people have sulfur sensitivities and people were sending me email and saying, you know, I can't take sulfur. It makes me sick. And, uh, and I was, for the longest time, I was puzzled by that. And I finally sort of realized that I think that's, be again, because of glyphosate, 
because it disrupts critical uh, enzymes involved in detoxifying sulfite, both sulfite oxidase and sulfite reductase. There's a, an enzyme that takes sulfite and turns it into methionine, actually. And that enzyme in, in E. coli was shown to be suppressed by glyphosate. And then sulfide oxidase uh, depends upon molybdenum, which is one of the minerals that would get chelated by glyphosate because it's a plus two cation. Glyphosate holds on to these minerals and doesn't make makes them lose their bioavailability. So the sulfide oxidase and the sulfide reductase are both broken. Sulfide has to be cleared really fast because it's highly reactive. So it slows down the ability to clear the sulfide and that causes toxicity in the gut. Um, I think because of the glyphosate. So again, people who have sulfur sensitivities, I would love to find out if they could switch to an organic diet and fix the problem. I would predict that might yeah. be true. Yeah, unfortunately now we also have a good test for glyphosate, a urine test that's not horribly expensive. It's available for under $100. Yes. And you can find out where you're at. Uh, a simple test, a urine test, no blood stick required, no spitting. Just pee on a stick, I think, and or send a sample in of your urine, and yeah. uh, they'll tell you. I, I had mine done, and it was tested below the level of detection, Excellent. which is... 40 parts per trillion, but it's something I would definitely recommend because, you know, you've done such a great work in helping us understand the damage that glyphosate does. I mean, it's just such an atrocious concept, uh, compound put on to the earth at 5 billion pounds per it's year. Unbelievable. It's, it's just it's unbelievable. Insane. I mean, we're going to look back and say, how do we let them do this? I know. You know and it's caused so much damage. And uh, so because of it, it, I didn't realize it uh, bound to all the plus two cations. Would that include magnesium too? Absolutely. It's been shown to deplete uh, magnesium. It depletes a lot of the minerals so, in plants. So they become deficient in mag manganese, magnesium, zinc. I mean, these are really important uh, micronutrients that your, your food is going to be deficient if your food's been exposed to glyphosate. And then, of course, your gut bacteria will also not be able to get access to those minerals if the glyphosate is in the gut. And that will cause them to be sick. And, and then it goes from there. There was a study on cows and they found in particular manganese and cobalt, extremely low levels, way below the minimum expected value in cows exposed to glyphosate in the blood. So, uh, But fortunately, you know, I, and I think the really the end result of this is that we're educating the public, that we're making them aware of it. Obviously we've been successful in California, at least putting a poison I know, I love California. Good some progress. I think we will. The key point here is to educate people, inform them, let them know that they can take control of their health by choosing organic, but even better because it could be raining glyphosate and it is raining glyphosate. You've got so much in the environment. You can grow your own food or mm -hmm. buy it from some a local uh, uh, organic farmer at your uh, farmer's market or even, you know, you can grow sprouts in your house. I mean, that's the key thing. If we can start growing our own food, taking back the the, the production system, I mean, we, we grew almost half of our crops in World War II with victory, victory gardens. gardens. Yeah, But now it's less than, less than 1%. We so really we gotta, need to do that. I totally support yeah, that. It, I think it's great that you're promoting that concept. I think it's really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is key. It's it's part of the solution strategy that we get because if we can convince enough people to do it, then there won't be a market for this. They can't do it. I mean, they'll still probably uh, contaminate the feed for the animals, but you know, most you know, you don't need to eat a lot of animal products. <laughs> I mean, it's not much. 
you know, certainly a lot less than most people are eating now. Oh, and the animals, of course, are getting sick too. There's actually a lot of stuff oh, going absolutely. on with the cows and the pigs. It's amazing. And they're discovering, this. things are coming out both in America and in Europe. Um, this guy, Eve Peterson, was, is a massive pig farmer. He has a huge number of pigs. And he did uh, studies with, you know, he saw uh, deformed piglets and, and fertility problems and all kinds of issues with his pigs. And he converted them to an organic diet and everything went away. It was amazing. They were getting clostridium infections. They were getting botulism. And they were having a lot of problems. They all went away when they were converted to an organic diet for the pigs. And so, and same with the cows. So I think we're learning. We should be learning from the animals because they're getting a much higher exposure than we are. But our exposure is going up every year. So we're catching up, you know, and we're getting sicker and sicker too. Uh, our population is just incredible how much healthcare is costing in America. And we never seem to ask why is our healthcare so expensive? Maybe it's because we're sick. We don't seem to ask that question. No. Being sick is part of it, but I think the primary primary issue is that we've allowed corporations to benefit their bottom line dollars. So that's that's about half of it probably comes from there. But then the other is exposure to the two most pernicious toxins, I believe, that are out there, at least in one, one would be glyphosate and the other is EMF. Mm -hmm. And they have a really powerful synergy that takes people out prematurely. Yes, I agree. I think glyphosate messes up your natural electrical system, which makes you much more susceptible to the EMF electrical noise. Yeah, which is electrosmog, as they refer to it in Europe. <laughs> it's are, really, it really sounds. We are highly bad. polluted. Sounds daunting yeah, it's to try to fix the problems. I, I, I want to give you a question because I, I don't think even you have a, a, a deep appreciation of the increase in the magnitude of exposure that we have. Um, if you go back to 1917, right around World War II, and to now, 2017, as we're recording this, right before 2018, 100 years essentially, what has the increase been in microwave radiation, one gigahertz? Oh boy. <laughs> from 1917, to, did it go up 10 times, 100, oh 1,000, a million? Oh a billion? my God. I don't know, yeah, but you, I imagine it's big, really big. It is big. Well, you are correct. It is big. And the answer is, it's not a billion. It's a billion billion. Oh my God. It's went up 10 oh my God. to the 18th. That's incredible. 10 to the 18th. Yeah, 10 with 18 zeros after it. Wow. The one with 18. But uh, that's a lot. Yes. That is really a lot. Frightening, isn't it? It's really yeah, interesting so, how we've become so dependent on this communication network oh, yes. we've created and to think of just taking that away. And even though we didn't have it 100 years ago, and that was fine, we still seem to live happy lives, right? But to say go back to that, it, it's, it's interesting to think about how hard that would be for us. I think it's all, almost harder than going back to organic food, don't you think? No, I, I think it's relatively easy because no one's suggesting that we abandon technology. I'm certainly not suggesting that, but it's just to, just to avoid the wireless component of technology, which mm, is relatively do it all easy wired. to do. You do it all wired and, and you know this you know it's just atrocious that they're putting children on statin drugs which is just criminal but it's equally criminal to put an entire classroom on a tablets or ipads right and expose them to that radiation i mean it's just insane once you understand the damage that's occurring yes. i mean they're equally criminal activities Right. From a, from a health perspective, once, once you understand health at a foundational level. Yes, and it just so takes such a long time to get people to realize what's happening with all of these things. Well, 
Well, yeah, but you're taking a good stab at helping people understand. Thanks for all the good work. So are you. So, <laughs> so. so what, 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 are there any new insights you've uh, acquired? And I'm sure there are since the last time we've, we've talked about this because you're always reading. That's what I love about you. You're yes. scouring the literature and uh, you know, absorbing this new information and not only just reading and, and learning, but then synthesizing, understanding it and applying it in a practical recommendations. Yes, I mean, well, the glyphosate, I've really been obsessed, I've continued to be obsessed with glyphosate. Mm -hmm. It's such an interesting molecule and I'm figuring out all the different nuances of its behavior. It's just incredible, everything that it does. I think that I'm much better understanding how it causes leaky gut. You know, it causes the gut to leak. Mm -hmm. I believe it gets into proteins by mistake in place of glycine. Uh, there's a lot of evidence, a lot of circumstantial evidence that this is happening. And then those proteins become much more allergenic than they would otherwise be. It gets into trypsin. Anthony Samsel showed he ordered porcine trypsin and porcine pepsin from a lab, and he tested them. Both of them tested for high levels of glyphosate. So it's getting into the trypsin and messing up the trypsin's function to digest the yeah. proteins. Yeah, tri trypsin so, is a digestive enzyme. Yeah, so the proteins are not getting digested. The gut is opening up holes, the leaks. The, trip, the, the undigested protein, such as the gluten and the casein, is getting out into the general circulation. The, the immune cells are having a fit because of that, and you get autoimmune disease. So we have an epidemic in all kinds of different autoimmune diseases. And allergies, food allergies, I think all of that traces back to glyphosate. Yeah, and, and let's just step back a bit and help people understand how is it getting into glycine? First of all, glycine is a really short, small, tiny amino acid. It's, a, I think, one of the most common amino acids. Yes, it's common. And, it's also the smallest amino acid. No side chains. Yeah, yeah, no side chains. So what people, most people don't know, glyphosate, what does GLY stand for? That <laughs> stands for glycine. It does. It is a glyphosate is a glyphosate, it is a step of understanding to under to to recognize how this molecule can easily be substituted for normal glycine. So why don't exactly. you expand on that? It is a glycine molecule. It's a complete glycine molecule, except that the nitrogen has this attachment to it, which is called this um, this uh, methylphosphonyl group. So it's got this thing stuck onto the nitrogen atom that makes it a modified glycine molecule. But it's still glycine. It's still the amino acid glycine. It just has something on the nitrogen. So I think that it, it still can go into the protein. When the, when the protein's being made and the DNA machinery says there's a code here for glycine, it's looking around for a glycine molecule. It's, oh, this one's a good glycine. Put it in. And it's not glycine. It's glycine plus, it's glycine on steroids. It's got this extra thing. It's, it's a poison glycine. Exactly. <laughs> and, it, and it can cause huge problems with that certain proteins have certain glycines that absolutely have to be glycine in order for them to work properly. I mean, a good example is myosin. Myosin in the muscles is muscle contraction. You know, it's a really important protein in the muscles for contracting for movement. It has a glycine at position 699 in the protein, in the amino acid sequence. If you change that glycine into alanine, which is to say you add one extra methyl group, it ruins the, the protein, only has 1% capacity to contract. It loses 99% of its capacity to, to contract. Really amazing. So if you put glyphosate instead of glycine, you're going to have at least as bad an effect as you would with alanine, probably worse. It will cripple the protein. And maybe that's yep. how you get chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah, different options for that. But yeah, that it, a lot of people don't appreciate it. But if you take it about chemistry, you have. But it, frequently, as you mentioned, it's just the one amino acid substitution that can totally ruin an entire protein. Because it's in of thousands of amino acids. You change one of them, 
is, is ruined. Yeah, and it's just you particular you ones, and people know which ones, and that's what's so cool. I had a lot of fun rummaging through the research literature looking for essential glycines. You know, you sort of find a protein, here's a glycine, here's a mutation, this is no longer glycine, now it's aspartate. All of a sudden, this person has this horrible disease because of that one change, you know? And ALS, for example, ALS, I did a whole paper on ALS because there's a whole bunch of different mutations in certain proteins that are uh, associated with with you know the familiar familial form of ALS, the inherited form, which is only five percent of the cases, but in those mm. cases you have a lot of examples of glycine mutations within certain proteins that are linked to ALS, causing ALS. So you, it isn't hard to think that glycine is not mutated, but it's substituted by glyphosate. It has the same effect. I did not realize. So there's really basically two types or classes of ALS. One is a familial, and the other is an acquired. Yes. Did not know that. That would make, that would make perfect sense for the glyphosate story because yes. you know having having interviewed Stephen Gundry who wrote the book The Plant Paradox, and I'm sure you've been exposed to that. You know his his approach for virtually all autoimmune diseases of which ALS is a subtype of is to remove lectins from the diet mm. and because they, they damage the gut lining as does glyphosate and of course he recommends a, 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 a GMO free mm. gly, uh, glyphosate free diet but but uh, he said uh, using some very sophisticated tests to document it objectively yes yeah, so I did not, so there, but there could be, so even with a lectin-free diet, if you're exposed to glyphosate, you're going to be ruined. <laughs> I think so. I think it just, and collagen has huge amounts of glycine in it, and we have an epidemic in joint pain, back pain, you know, all these knee pain, all these hip replacement therapies. I think that they're, uh, and of course, opioid drug epidemic because of people being in agony, they're taking painkillers and ending up dying from an overdose of opioid drugs. I suspect all of that is connected to glyphosate getting into critical proteins in the joints and messing up their ability to do their job properly. Yes, indeed. So um, we got off topic. <laughs> that's okay. All right, because that's an area of expertise. But you know, ultimately, you know, it's an important topic with the cholesterol and the statins because it is. You know, it, it, and interestingly, that was your segue into this arena, this whole arena. It you would have never been studying was. glyphosate if it wasn't for statins. So absolutely, it's a tip I of the iceberg. You know, and and I suspect for most people, we're preaching to the choir. They understand the dangers of statins. It's their friends and relatives and neighbors and coworkers who just don't get it and are absolutely. And why should they? One in four Americans, as I said, maybe moving to one in three, mm -hmm. over forty are taking statins. So it's, it's amazing. An and there's just, you know, I, my guess, my conclusion is, or summary, maybe, it may be in the more accurate term, is that virtually no one benefits from taking statins. I you agree. Never take from anyone. Now, Dr. Stephen Sinatra, who was, I just was with this last week, and is a cardiologist in his natural medicine, but he believes there's a certain subset of individuals who benefit. Benefit. I don't know enough, but my my concern is I think there's better and safer ways to address the risk factors. Reduce. I agree. I mean, aspirin, for example, you know, is an anti-inflammatory. If you want to take an anti-inflammatory, just take aspirin. It's a lot less destructive than than a statin drug. Yeah, but there's so many other natural products. That are no, I wouldn't take an aspirin either. No, I wouldn't take aspirin either. No way. I mean, but I, I did. I did want to white, say I, I have do, on on a I page. White, I do take white willow bark. Yeah. There you go. Yes. I take right. some of that every morning. Um, I was going to maybe show this page because I think you're interested in what, um, you know, supplements that you might take. And, and he has a section, um, a chapter on, on uh, 
dietary supplements in this book, in, in, in Greg's book. Mm -hmm. And I have here some of the things he recommends, which are interesting. Coenzyme Q10, of course, taking yeah, a there, supplement. There's a debate on that. You, you know, the, the, many people, and I'm one of them, believe that the ubiquinol version, or the reduced version, is a little more effective. And that's the one I personally take. Yeah. Okay, good. That's good information. So they're just, they're the, they're just, you know, coenzyme Q10 is the oxidized version. Right. It's very interesting you because know, it's the really same thing work. with folic acid versus folate. Yeah. Is oh, is that? I knew folate was the natural version, but folic acid is oxidized. the oxidized folate. Absolutely, it's the same problem. I did not know that. It's interesting. I knew that was it? A, it was a. I knew that was a synthetic version. Yeah, folate was a natural, but I didn't know it was an oxidized and reduced version. Right, folic acid actually costs you a lot of anti uh, antioxidant capacity in the liver to turn it into folate. It's it's not good stuff. And, and speaking of folate, I'm sure you like five methyl tetrahydrofolate rather than that's right. folate itself. That's right. Both the methyl five MTFHF. Right, so folic acid, you have to you have to get rid of the oxidation, so that's going to cost you antioxidant capacity, and then you have to methylate it, so that's going to cost you methylation capacity. Both of those you don't have because glyphosate has been destroying both of them. So, mm -hmm. folic acid makes things worse in the context of glyphosate, I think. Yeah, and, and it's interestingly, in the wheat. that's in every prenatal vitamin, or not yes. every, but most every commercial prenatal vitamin. Absolutely, you know, absolutes are rarely true, and it's certainly true here. So, uh, yeah, be careful out there if you're pregnant. Don't take folic acid. Right, right. That's a big one. Uh, then he says vitamin C, which I think you also like, right? I, you know, I'm not a massive fan of vitamin C. And I know it may distress some people. Unless you're sick, then I think the liposomal version, which you can take orally, mm -hmm. which it, which is probably even better than intravenous. And I would take... Yes or every hour until you're better. And I just was at an event last week and I gave a woman who, actually Annie Brandt, who has the best answers for cancer, she had an allergic reaction to something, took it and literally within hours it was gone. That's so it, you know, it'll, it'll abort allergic reactions, it'll, it'll radically upregulate your immune system and it's a very powerful, inexpensive, virtually no side effects. So I love vitamin C, I just don't, I'm not a big fan of taking it every day. And I, I, I eat fruits which are very high in vitamin C. Yes. I have, I grow acerola cherries and it's I nice harvest to see them. That you're saying yeah. do it naturally, which is what I've always said too, as you know. <laughs> I like to get things yeah, through fruits. I might eat 100 acerola cherries and each one has 80 milligrams. So I yes. might be getting, you know, 8,000 milligrams of cherry, of vitamin C from the cherries. Mm -hmm. But in the context of the whole food, which in is really important. In the context of the whole food, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think so. So then he says selenium. So selenium is another thing that gets messed up. Selenoproteins by glyphosate, I mean by, by the satin drugs, selenoproteins. And so he says, yeah, yeah, and I, I'm a massive, that is an absolutely critical or vital, not critical, but vital mineral or the nutrient that I think almost everyone needs to be in selenium, primarily for glutathione, but it has yes. many other uses. Right, right. Um, lecithin. How about lecithin? He says lecithin. I'm not a big fan of lecithin, uh, and I would suggest as a substitute for that just to eat one whole egg a day there because you go. Lecithin, lecithin, lecithin is phosphatidylcholine and that's there's massive amounts yes. in egg yolk a yes. whole egg the egg yolk is better and i put a whole egg in my smoothie pretty much every day unless mm -hmm. i'm working out and training then i use two eggs so i get i get a it's a magnificent magnificent tool you really need phosphatidylcholine i am an absolute firm believer and you could take it supplementally i think a liposomal firm is better than just swallowing mm -hmm. 
plant lecithin. And you got to be careful with lecithin because most of it's from soy. A lot mm -hmm. of it is from GMO. That's soy. right. So you know, you, we use uh, safflower or sunflower lecithin, organic sunflower lecithin. Mm -hmm. so Important because sunflowers can be contaminated too. They can be sprayed yeah, yeah, right yeah. before harvest. So it's a whole different, whole different deal. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of phosphatidylcholine. I think it really helps. And you could even use it, especially in detox, in very large amounts. Uh, to help penetrate your membranes. You need it for so many vital functions. Yes. Okay, and then he says omega-3, of course, omega-3 fats, um, which yeah, yeah. you now, eat those fatty foods that have high omega-3, such as grass-fed well, beef. Well, it's not just fatty foods. It's almost, it's, it's, well, I, I'm not a big fan of grass-fed beef for getting omega-3 fats. I think the better one would be seafood, healthy yes. seafood. My two favorites are... Um, sardines yes. which is where i get most of them from i do use wild caught shrimp really tiny ones so they don't Great. aren't grown up enough to get a lot of uh, uh that's interesting and dioxin. that's a good idea and, and then, I, then i also use fish roe salmon mm -hmm. roe mm -hmm. Very so good. i have about a, i have a teaspoon of that every day and and, oh, I, and wow. you just like glyphosate which would the urine test which we have on our site, you can all three index, which we also have on our site, and it's a little blood stick, and you can tell the percentage of omega three you have versus omega six, and you can see your healthy ranges, and that's a good test. That if you're really interested in health, that I would recommend anyone who is to to get that test to see where you are, to see if in fact you're not diluting yourself. Now, if you can't have seafood for whatever reason, then I would highly recommend uh, getting uh, taking a, a healthy source, supplemental source. I'm a bigger fan of krill oil than than, yeah. than fish oil. Uh, but you got to take enough to, to, so you can change the omega-3 index. Very good. Wow, this is great. D-ribose, I know you like, you, you, I remember that. Well, you, 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 you changed my view on that. You know, we had a, an email exchange. Yes. Got in, this was a glycan agent, and then I talked to some other clinicians, and I lo radically lowered my dose, but I take about maybe a few thousand milligrams once a day, really like a half a teaspoon a day. Hmm. Uh, and I put that in my smoothie. Mm -hmm. So it may be glycine, but I think you, I mean, ribose is an important nutrient. It is, I know. It's interesting. You you know, might, it's part, of fear. DNA, part of DNA, but yes, you get too and, much of glycine. And I think the um, statin drugs make it uh, more necessary to take it because I think it, something in what the statins does messes up the deribose processing. Yeah, uh, I know and that. Magnesium, he says, and then alpha lipoic acid. Oh, oh magnesium? Well, but let's get that. Magnesium, most everyone listening to this is deficient, and that's based on conventional standards. And you may not understand this, but the the uh, primary mechanism proposed by Martin Paul, P-A-L-L, and if, yes. I, if, I don't know if you've seen any of his YouTube lectures, but they're magnificent. And, you know, it basically describes the molecular pathology of how EMFs actually cause their yes. action, ultimately resulting Nitric in… Nitric oxide, right? Well, nitric oxide, uh, superoxide dismutase combining and then forming peroxynitrate to form oxidative free radicals and ox hydroxyl free radicals. But but the big issue is it's all mediated through these voltage-gated calcium channels. And guess what? A calcium channel it can be blocked by a calcium channel blocker, and a natural one is magnesium. So when you take high <laughs> enough doses of magnesium, you are actually lowering your risk for de developing damage from EMFs. And that's actually really interesting, too, because calcification of the plaque is a big part of heart disease. Calcification is really a more serious problem than the cholesterol buildup. And that calcification and, and, is going to be caused by the EMFs. Yeah. And we go back to the statins. Yes. What do statins do? They 
impair the ability of vitamin K2 absorption or its effect to work. So if you're messing up vitamin K2, that's exactly what K2 does. It's calcification of the arteries. It puts calcium in, yes. prevents it from going into the arteries and takes and puts it back into the bones. And in fact, there's a paper I have that shows that calcification increases with statin drug exposure. Exactly so what you seen. predict. Yeah. Because it's blocking the K2 pathway. Right. Um, alpha lipoic acid, that's a good one because it's got sulfur. It is a good one. I'm a little concerned about that one because um, it probably is good. You, you have to use it discriminately because it's an anti oral antioxidant. And I'm becoming less enamored with it as I grow older with uh -huh. oral antioxidants because I, I like it. And I'm not sure if you say the literature on, on molecular hydrogen. Yes. Well, that, you, you've that, gotten that, me that into is, that. I'm still oh, trying to figure that out. <laughs> it's, you will love it. And, you know, Tyler LeBaron is just, he is really just very knowledgeable in this, but essentially it's a selective antioxidant inhibitor. And it, and, uh, and it uh, really, the primary mechanism, we think it, it upregulates NRF2 pathway. Mm -hmm. So it makes you, you make your own superoxide dismune, the ones that you need. So, um, I, maybe it's better to get the sulfur and then have your body make them, you know, because your body can regulate on feedback and it does. And if you, if you indiscriminately increase antioxidants, you may be shutting down important yes. oxidant stressors because you, you need some, <laughs> you, you need some oxid, you need some yes. free radicals. That's I not, they're not all dangerous. Well, you have to have them. It's the thing you have to be yeah. able to do that. And what you want to have is a good support system to tamper down the damage, collateral damage, but you still want to be able right, to have that is, reaction actually take place. You know, if Which you suppress what molecular the reaction. hydrogen does, yeah. yeah, that it it doesn't it doesn't suppress most of them, just like the hydroxyl fibrous. And then he has one more pyroloquinolin quinone, which I've never heard of. So oh, I don't no, know no, that, you know about that one. Oh yeah, I've been taking it for two years or so. It's oh, all, wow. it's more commonly called PQQ. Oh, okay, PQQ. It, it's 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 similar. It's a it's sort of a sister to coenzyme Q10. Mm. It functions. It's in the same similar type of mechanism yeah and i i'm a big fan of that in fact we sell a combination of that with berberine and i'm sure you've heard that many people use metformin which is a yes. relatively safe diabetic drug for anti-aging and they also use it to control obviously it's an oral hypoglycemic to use to control diabetes but interestingly berberine has works almost in the same pathways primarily ampk that that metformin does mm. without the side effects like it's a natural yeah, so I we have a berberine PQQ combination that I think is just oh, that magnificent. sounds very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for, for for just for health support because it improves mitochondrial function. Right. That's great. I'm glad I gave you that list. I, I'm interviewing you. <laughs> We've reversed roles. <laughs> but that was very well. Interesting. You know, it, it's it's good stuff. You know that we, uh, you know, because supplements are important, and I'm I think, and I take a lot of supplements. There's no question, but but my primary goal is to get it from food. And many of my supplements are almost, they're food-based yes. supplements. You're you know, looking like more towards natural Corvella, things. Yeah, you know, you know, the acerola cherries. So, you know, it's things like that. But, you know, I do take a fair amount, like PQQ would be one, and ubiquinol, mm -hmm. uh, magnesium. So, the, you know, I think it's important. But to, but to be really careful and, and mm -hmm. choose them wisely and not just go overboard and take everything. Yes, very good advice. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So any other insights you'd like to share with us because you're just such an enormous wealth of information. Oh gosh, I could go on and on forever. But, but, you, I think, uh, but you know, yeah. some of the new, new stuff that you'd like to 
emphasize. Right. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun figuring out the, um, the, the way, the mess up in the gut with the glyphosate, I think is really what I'm working on right now. And the whole thing of the, you know, imbalance in the gut microbes, overgrowth of things like clostridium, and then the immune system uh, getting messed up and um, not being able, the immune system gets weakened by glyphosate. The neutrophils are unable to do their job. And then the tryptophan gets squirreled away inside the macrophages as chimerinine, and then it gets taken over to the brain and dumped off and causing all kinds of trouble in the brain. So there's this whole complicated thing that's going on between the brain and the gut, the gut-brain axis communication system, with the microbes being messed up by the glyphosate, the gut being leaky, and the leaky gut barrier introduces a leaky brain barrier. So the barriers are all leaky. The placental barrier is leaky too, so the placenta gets in trouble during pregnancy. All this stuff that's happening uh, because of glyphosate, it's such a cascade. It's just truly amazing. It's so complicated and I'm struggling to try to organize it into individual papers that make sense because the space is vast, you know, and it just uh, goes on and on. Oh. But I think the tryptophan deficiency caused both by the shikimate pathway being broken, because shikimate pathway mm -hmm. is what the bugs use to make the tryptophan, which is this essential amino acid. Tryptophan is a precursor to serotonin and melatonin. So those are going to be deficient if tryptophan is deficient. Uh, glyphosate prevents the synthesis of tryptophan by the microbes, and then it also forces the tryptophan into the macrophages. So they squirrel it away, and it, it makes this deficiency problem even worse with respect Good. to the serotonin. Well, how, how about the plants that we're eating, which I think ultimately uh, is, a, is a source, although uh, Robert Lustig told me the highest source of tryptophan was egg whites. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't looked it up. So that's when I started eating the whole egg again, so just the yolks. But I'm wondering when when you spray glyphosate on the crops. Yes. Because it it's, it's just shikimate pathway. Does it because of it? Is that correct? Yeah, it's going to deplete the shikimate. Uh, it's going to mess up the shikimate pathway in the plant, which is going to deplete the supply of tryptophan in the, in the okay. food source. So you have a deficiency. We, actually, Anthony and I talked about this in our first paper that we wrote together on glyphosate, um, the first Pathways to Modern Disease series, the first of the series. We've written six papers so far. And in the first one of the series, we talked about this tryptophan deficiency in the food and then trips, tryptophan being uh, unable to be produced by the microbes and tryptophan being taken up by the macrophages to fight the infection that's there because the microbes are disrupted. So you get into the situation where the tryptophan gets totally depleted and the liver doesn't get enough tryptophan then it can't make enough nad because that is depends on tryptophan oh and so you have NAD, NAD deficiency and that, oh, that's, that is the, one of the most important signaling molecules in the body yeah so that's a problem and then you get also the serotonin and melatonin deficiency in the brain which gives you the sleep disorder and of course serotonin deficiency gives you violent behavior suicidal behavior um you know uh, depression and it's not just tryptophan, is it? It's a, it, it's a, tryptophan is an aromatic amino acid. Yes. Doesn't the disruption of the shikimate pathway uh, decrease all the aromatic yes. amino acids? tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine, all three. And then all yeah. their derivatives, which includes dopamine and mel melanin, the skin tanning agent. Hmm. Folic acid even comes out of that pathway. Folate. I mean, so many mm -hmm. things are disrupted by that pathway, which is why the plant dies. <laughs> you know, it really does kill the plant yeah, very yeah. effectively. It kills all plants, except for those so clear near Clearly, that is a strong uh, reason to avoid ever tapping, eating conventional food. And you know, most of the time, you got to realize any non-organic 
meat is going to be loaded with glyphosate because that's what they're feeding them. They're feeding them non-organic food right. uh, and it's loaded up. So, so clearly eating organically, especially any animal food is important, but I'm wondering if you could comment on your experience and I'm sure you've met Zach Bush before he put, put developed yes. this product or store with respect to its impact and its ability to actually repair some of the disruption of the tight junctions in the gut. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I mean, it's, it makes sense as a product because it's got the minerals. So the minerals are getting depleted by the glyphosate. So it's the mineral supplements. It's also got the fulvic acid and the humic acid from the soil. It's, he claims he gets this incredibly rich and uh, healthy soil. I mean, it's really important. Yeah, from where 50 million from. years old in southeast. Yes, right? I think that's a crucial part. You know, it's not just any soil. So it's always interesting with these products that it has to be really perfect, you know, the best that you can find. And so, um, and then it has also probiotics. So it's, it makes sense because it's got all those things in it that I think are useful for helping to detoxify. I, I, as I understand, it doesn't have probiotics. It's just this uh, ah. terra lignite is what they have. And, and essentially, it radically decreases the need for probiotics. And it, and oh, it maybe that's more like prebiotics. Yeah, I don't even think it's prebiotics. I think it just improves microbial communication. Oh, interesting. And, and allows a greater microbial diversity, is, is my understanding of it. You did an interview with uh, him, I think, didn't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's actually a good friend of mine. I'm, I'm uh, going to be visiting his uh, Yeah, he's his invited clinic. me to visit. We should go at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be so, there this week. This week. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, yeah, I've been there before. He's just, he's just a great human being. And, yes, yeah, I think and, I, really and I, he tipped me off to Zondulin too, and that's another piece of the puzzle, and he probably talked to you about Zondulin. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and Zondulin gets uh, induced by glyphosate because the glyphosate disrupts the protein digestion, so the gluten comes down and doesn't get digested, and that triggers the release of Zondulin. And what's worse than that is that Zondulin is removed by trypsin, the digestive enzyme, which is broken by glyphosate also. So that once the zonulin is produced, it's going to open up the gut barrier and then it's going to hang around because the trypsin's not working so that the gut barrier is going to stay open much too long. Okay. Well, this is good. I think we've given people a, uh, earful on, in this last hour. <laughs> it's so. more than they can handle so, at this point. <laughs> yeah, so I think we'll probably get ready to close. And I'll just remind people that the book that we were initially discussing was the book, The Dark Sides of Statins, yeah, plus The Wonder of Cholesterol by Dr. Graveline. Uh, and then uh, uh, Dr. Seneff's only book that she's written, I, I wrote the forward to, is Cindy and Erica's Dilemma. Obsession. Obsession, that's what it was. Obsession. America's healthcare crisis, yeah. Yeah, so it's a good book. It's been out for a while now, and you can uh, get, get pick that up on Amazon if you're interested in an auto, in, in, extremely intriguing <laughs> autobiographical narrative of Dr. Seneff's journey into discovering <laughs> and the enlightening information she did about the healthcare crisis. So, thank you. All right. Well, thanks for all you do. It's really appreciated. And, uh, I'm looking forward to some even more great discoveries from you. Thank you. Thanks for talking. It was great.